The framework of business is completely different in the new normal. To explore culture as the strategy, we have to look in places we haven't before. Looking into company culture from the C-suite to employees and from Fortune 500 to startups. It's time to understand the human side of company culture and the new shape it is taking. This is the conversation on Culture Factor 2.0, and I'm your host, Holly Shannon. Brian Smith is an ex-pro sports performance coach. In fact, he led the Olympic sports development in track and fields, representing over seven countries in the 2016 Rio Olympics. He turned startup founder at Leon, an employee performance platform, where he leaned in on his expertise in all things stress, burnout management, and high performance. Leon went viral recently with their provocative take on how employees feel and are treated. Today, on Culture Factor 2.0, we will dive into his area of expertise in sports science, this AI-powered platform, and how it affects company culture in a manner we have yet to see from the C-suite or human resources. Hi, I'm your host, Holly Shannon, and I'd like to introduce Brian Smith. Welcome to Culture Factor 2.0. Wow, you killed that. That was so <laughs> that was so elegant. The pauses were perfect. It was uh it was amazing. Good job on that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. So welcome aboard. I'm really excited. And I really want to dive into your background working with Olympic athletes, um, because it has given you a viewpoint um, that employees are analogous to athletes. So I'd like to talk about how employers have the same responsibility for their employees as a coach would do for their athletes. Do you think I could ask you to dive into that? Yeah, sure. Um, not a problem. So, you know, I think it probably makes sense to sort of understand my role a little bit and, and what I did with uh, professional athletes, right? Because it's a little uh, ambiguous. Um, I think some people would be like, you know, I'm, I'm doing muscle biopsies on a daily basis to see what's going on with an athlete. You know, other people might be like, I'm just yelling in a corner telling him to lift more weights, right? Um, but quite honestly, it's sort of a combination of the two. Um, you know, when we look at athletes and we look at training athletes, regardless if it's in track and field or football or baseball, ultimately what it comes down to is you're managing resources, right? Um, and you're managing fatigue, you're managing stress, you're managing strength, you're managing power, you're managing endurance, all these other things, um, all on the idea that you're managing these resources to make sure that they can present themselves on the field of play. So think about that and open that up a little bit, right? So when mm -hmm. I'm working with an athlete, I need to be able to make sure that the recovery modalities that I'm giving them, if it's massage or um, ice, you know, cold tubs or cryotherapy, nutrition, exercise programs, all these other things are not stealing away from their ability to present their skills on, on, within the, the game or within the track. Um, so ultimately that's what I did, right? Like I made sure to monitor recovery and we would use that, um, use things like HRV, which is cardiac monitoring, um, EEG, which is looking at a slow brainwave activity, actually looking at, um, the, the potentiation of the central nervous system and how it represents itself on the field. We would do blood testing. We would do supplementation testing. We would do muscle biopsies all of these type of things to make sure that our athletes are prepared to perform on the field of play. 
Now, how that relates itself back to business is we do the same thing, right? Every interaction that you have as a leader, every interaction that you have as a manager is making sure that you are managing the resources of your sales pros, your product teams, or whatever they are, all right, and that you're mentally preparing them right, to perform eight hours a day, five days a week, you know, 300 some days a year. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense if everybody worked nine to five, five days a week. <laughs> exactly. I think people now work crazy hours and obviously with the new normal, there's such a blurring of the lines between what the workday looks like when it starts, when it ends, where your breaks are. Um, so it's harder for employers to maybe see the full picture. Um, maybe you can share with us um, sort of that picture, what that looks like. So so say a company, uh, which brings us sort of to our next question, say a company is going through fundraising or they have um, a big initiative in front of them. Um, how does that affect employees? Okay, so again, I'll, I'll bring it back to the, uh, the sports performance aspect of this, right? Um, so when we're designing uh, plans, and we design plans on four-year increments, right? So every recovery day, every massage session, every training uh, program is designed within four years. All right, and then what we do is we, we use data to make sort of daily changes and weekly changes and monthly changes based off of feedback, right? So if we see that an athlete is trending down, meaning like their recovery or their sleep or their burnout or their fatigue, we then make adjustments to make sure that that athlete is able to recover, sort of super compensate or bounce back. And I'll get into that super compensation theory in a second, bounce back. All right, so they can train and perform again, right? Because what we wanna do is we wanna make sure that there's always a linear curve to training preparation, right? You're either constantly getting stronger, faster, more resilient, fitter, what more conditioned. So that linear curve presents itself um, at the Olympic level. So that's like peaking, right? Like you're sort of peaking at the right time and all the resources are, are available so you can present itself, you know, on, on an Olympic level. Now, when we look at product teams or we look at companies in general, um, you know, the, the differences in pro sports, we understand the cost of everything. We understand the cost of running a mile and how our athlete or individual athlete, how that's going to affect that athlete and their recovery and their ability to train the next day or perform the next week. But with, with our employees, we don't understand the cost of raising a Series A or pushing out a new product in 60 days or having a big ass quarter, all right, where you just like, you know, you, you just kill that, that okay, are the goals. Um, so what ends up happening, because we don't understand those costs, we end up compiling stress on top of each other, right? Where, because we're not allowing recovery time, we're not allowing this sort of super compensation. And let me explain that. 
essentially supercompensation is a disruption of homeostasis. Do you know what I mean by homeostasis, Holly? I'm going to let you explain to the listeners. So homeostasis is the concept that your body is always trying to maintain a um, sort of middle ground, right? Of like stress and recovery. It's always trying to maintain that middle ground. And that's where like our status quo is at. Anytime there's a disruption or a new stress in anything in life is added. You didn't sleep, you got to fight with your spouse, whatever. There's a disruption of homeostasis. And in that disruption of homeostasis, there is a chemical response within the body, which causes a stress response, which lowers your homeostatic homeostatic state, meaning your body it disrupts your, your median and you drop down, right? Mm-hmm. And then what happens is once you drop down, normally what happens is you allow your body to recover from that stress, right? That that's the release of hormones and all these other things that happened. That's the release of stress. And what happens is your body starts coming back up. It starts making a linear progression, all right, up. And then what happens is it, uh, you achieve a higher level of homeostasis, right? Because your body has improved. It's figured out how to adapt to that stress and start coming mm-hmm. back up. So now it has a higher level of homeostasis. But what happens in the workplace is we do that product sprint. It's stressful as all hell, right? All right. right. And, but the manager or the team or whoever's in charge doesn't give the team enough time to recover. So there is no super compensation curve, right? You just show up for it the next day and you do it again and then again and again and again. And this is why burnout happens is because the stress gets too much. There's not enough recovery. There is no super compensation curve. So what ends up happening is over time, we now increase or decrease our employees' homeo level of homeostasis, right? So you started at one, all right? And then, you know, you're now you're coming down to negative five and that's your new level of homeostasis. And over time that builds and builds or decreases, decreases and decreases where now our employees get burned out and they have all these other things associated with it. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And, and in light of the fact that we have a huge mental health crisis, you've hit the nail on the head that I believe are, we're in that path. A lot of people are in that path. Totally. I mean, I, I, and, and, and all of this is part of life, right? And, and really there's, this is no difference than the current state that we're in. Like the, obviously there's more stress involved in that, but fuck all our employees were always stressed. We we're always causing these issues. It's just now managers don't have, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, they can justify it by saying, oh, I had a conversation with my employee or, oh, my employee doesn't look stressed or, oh, my employee showed up for work today. Therefore, they must be fine. Hmm. I, I don't think that employers have the tools um, to work in this new normal. A lot of them have been thrust into the work from home life. Um, they're not used to being in each other's living rooms, which is a real, you know, that's your personal space, right? Some people have a, have a desk set up in their bedroom, a spare bedroom, the kitchen. Um, so, you know, there's a, uh, the privacy piece, that piece where you're able to go home and recover. Like you said, you know, you have certain things that help you recover. Um, and, and part of that is family time or quiet time and it's been infiltrated, so you can't really um, 
it's sort of just this whole new world is making it difficult for for everybody in a lot of ways. And I'm not really sure how we work on company culture in this new normal. And and, and that's why I'm talking to people like yourself. Um, to achieve homeostasis, um, and maybe I'm going to jump into a question I had further down the line about Leon um, and, and sort of looking at the individual. So um, I'm sorry, this is turning out to be a long question, but we're, we're all individuals. So what works for Brian and what works for Holly and what works for Jane and Jack are completely different. And our homeostasis cannot be measured exactly the same. So asking an employer to treat us all the same or HR to treat us all the same doesn't work, right? Like, I mean, we see it doesn't work. There's some people who are plummeting into mental health issues and some that are thriving. So so what can we do? Are there tools out there to, to help us? Well, I don't, it's, it's a tool issue, but it's also um, like an education sort of knowledge issue, right? Um, because it's important for individuals and especially leaders to understand the science of stress. All right. And how, what goes into that and how people adapt to it and how people recover from it and how it affects certain people. Right. There's a, there's a great book and Holly, you might've read this, um, by, uh, Robert Sapolsky, uh, called why zebras don't get ulcers. Are you familiar with this? I I'm familiar with the name, but I haven't read it, but we will also put it in uh, a link in the show notes for our guests too. Yeah. So it, it's a brilliant book. Um, all about, uh, it's a, uh, I think he's a neuroscientist from University of Stanford. Um, and what he did is he studied uh, baboons, right? Um, and how baboons uh, recover with, or how they recover from stress and sort of like the, the entire sort of infrastructure of living in a baboon community, right? And what happens to baboons when they're, um, you know, pushed away from their tribe or the pack, or whatever they call it. And then just ultimately what their response is. And then it goes into this big sort of, you know, a conversation about what goes into stress and how people adapt to stress. Um, and it's important to understand that stress is 100% an individual characteristic, all right, that we all, um, that affects us all in different ways. Um, and what I mean by that is on a biological level, um, there's always the same response, but that response is governed by past history, all right, or even epigenetics. Like, have you ever saw that um, study with uh, um, Holocaust victims and um, their, uh, like, two generations later and how their how their uh, family is adapted to stress? Are you familiar with this at all? I'm not, but I oh. would like to be. Okay, so um, there was a study done on, I think it was the great-great-grandchildren of Holocaust survivors. And I might butcher this, but I'll, I'll send you the link so you can post it in show notes. Thanks. And essentially the, the idea was that the great, great grandchildren lacked a certain chemical to adapt to stress properly. And the idea was, is because of epigenetic factors, those Holocaust survivors, all right, or the people that were in the Holocaust depleted on like a genetic level um, their ability for their great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren to adapt to stress properly, meaning their stress was so heightened that it blunted the stress response all right, for generations of people. That it's blows my mind. Pretty crazy. Yeah. 
So that, that's unbelievable. But that's how individual stress is, right? Is that, you know, I could have had childhood trauma. I could have epigenetic factors, which have never, like I never knew about that all affect my ability to adapt to stress. So when I, when we talk about um, knowledge of like managing people and managing teams, understanding the cost of doing business from a people perspective is so important because these people, our employees are our charges. You know, they're like our students to a certain extent, right? Where we can't let bad things sort of happen to them. Uh, but the first part is understanding exactly what stress is, how it you know, affects people, um, how it affects people individually. All right. And then deciding to make sort of changes and adjustments from there. This is fascinating. I, I hadn't looked at it through this lens. Um, your background in, in, in health really brings something else to the table. You know, very often, um, and, and this is just as an aside, and we can certainly have this conversation, but most people, and you actually you and I have had this conversation before, um, look at company culture as, you know, the kombucha on tap or, you know, an HR directive that everybody's going to do, you know, 10 minute meditation followed by yoga. And it just is not a one size fits all. And, and those things are not culture. Those are maybe nice to haves, but they don't resolve the problem that there's a cost of doing business, like you said. And um, I would like to maybe understand how employers can rethink company culture to preserve the mental health of um, their charges. Um, You know, as you said, there's fallout from all of these ambitious goals and from, you know, uh, doing that series A round or scaling. Um, What can we do? How can we rethink company culture? What, What is your take on that? So I, I think it's important to understand that we probably need to remove the concept, not the concept, the word mental health, all right, because it's just about health, all right? How I handle stress might not present itself with me crying at my desk, right? Or it might not present myself, present itself with me being suicidal or, you know, feeling inadequate or whatever, but it could be doing other things, right? It could be just... Um, you know, increasing my, uh, increasing my, um, like your testosterone and making you angry or something. Yeah. Or it could be increasing my risk of, you know, type two diabetes. Um, it could be, um, changing the way my body uh, manages sort of sugar and insulin responses, which causes me to gain weight or gain belly fat. Like these are all really effects of stress, right? So let's, let's talk about managing health in general. Um, so, when we talk about what companies can do, you know, data is obviously key, right? So we need to understand the cost of doing business and we need to sort of live this mantra of do no harm, right? Just like doctors, right? When they talk about doing no harm to their patients, we should do that same thing for our employees because they're people and they're human beings and that's the right thing to do. But that being said, it doesn't mean you remove stress, all right? Stress is fine, right? certain levels of burnout are fine. And it's part of being an athlete or being an employee, right? right? But what we need to understand is um, that stress level we're trying to achieve 
I and that recovery level we're trying to achieve and how to get that person to super compensate and get back to that, um, have a positive momentum homeostasis or allostasis rather than a decreased uh, sort of curve on homeostasis. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. How yeah. How do you suggest we do that? And and maybe that means we we lean in a little bit to understand um, the data and and maybe even how Leon works uh, to to learn. It's AI powered, so it learns and relearns about the individuals. If I understand it correctly, yeah. So um, you know what what Leon does is we use a series of surveys and integrations and a bunch of different data points to ultimately early detect things like burnout, mental health issues, performance issues, and culture issues before they happen. Um, but where the, uh, the secret sauce lies is instead of giving that data to a manager or CEO to make decisions on a company level, we make the employee the object of control, and then we build services and content and education um, around the individual rather than the company. So what that looks like is if we detect that an employee is burning out, um, our machine learning algorithm then points services through our integrations, if that's Headspace or Talkspace or Equinox or SoulCycle or blood testing companies or whatever, directly to that employee to give them exactly what they need. And then the company can subsidize spend for those services. Um, and then we point content for that individual to help them exactly understand what burnout is, how to prevent it, how to mitigate it, um, all those other things. And then we create a series of events and um, learning uh, uh, modules and whatnot that that employee can sort of engage into um, to sort of improve that concept. So that's sort of our base um, product model. But one of the things that we're putting right now, which you know I think is groundbreaking, but I'm a founder, so who knows, um, <laughs> is this concept of taking that wellness data or that performance data that we're collecting and um, overlaying that with uh, growth goals within a company. All right, so you know, so for a real-time example, say if somebody an, an employer puts in our platform that they want to raise a series A within six months. All right. What we do is we have benchmark data against other companies that have done that in real time. Um, and we can tell a company the best way to manage your team, provide recovery resources, provide mental health resources and whatnot during that time to make sure that your team comes out of that six month series A um, ready to do it again. Right, because much like the New England Patriots or whatever have you, with the team that can repeat performance over and over and over again, that becomes the dynasty. All right, and that's what we want out of the companies we work with. We want you to be able to raise a Series A. All right, but we want you to raise a Series A without um, an increase in people cost. Right, we want to make sure that you know your team is recovered, that they have you know a high level of morale, that they're not burnt out, and that they're able to perform again. Because during this time, what we've shown is that companies who raise a Series A uh, within 90 days of, re of raising that Series A, they see a 42% increase in burnout and a 35% um, decrease in employee morale which is like the worst time in the world to have any of that happen. Um, because quite honestly, it's one of the biggest growth goals you can go through in a company. And at that point, now you're answering to 
VCs and all these other people, and you have to make sure that you can perform um, at a top level. Well, you've you've put yourself on that next level, like you said. So to have forty two percent burnout, so you know almost half of your workforce is completely burnt out and doesn't have anything left in the tank to go, and more than a third of them are um, their morale is, you know, headed down. Mm-hmm. And you need them to to head back. They need to be excited, actually, right? We 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 got this series, we got the round, next step type of thing, but they don't have anything in them. You know, it, it's so fascinating to me because, you know, company culture has always been, at least classically, it's always been talked about from the C-suite. Um, you know, the the famous saying, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? So um, it's always been thought of that whatever the C-suite is doing, it trickles down and it's and that is company culture. Uh, COVID has really changed the way um, companies operate. And I actually think that it's such a great opportunity because it's exploded the system, right? You you don't even have that physical building anymore where you have the people who are highest in the C-suite sitting on the highest floor. You've you've diminished even the physical look of it. So we're we're in a new era and and with that I feel comes opportunity and I feel as though what you're talking about is an opportunity for the employee to feel empowered and to take the necessary steps to reach homeostasis, um, to find the tools that they need to refill their tank, to know what their boundaries really are. I think some of us don't even know what our boundaries are. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we just dive into projects and things and, you know, we come out at the end of it, hopefully still standing, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I had a conversation, you might have saw this on LinkedIn today. Um, with an individual who said that, um, you know, from the, they use this like good to great analogy where like the best companies uh, push their employees to a level to achieve greatness. And they use, you know, the apples of the world and Teslas of the world and whatnot. And that pretty much he said that if you're the type of employee that can't handle that, it's not the employer's responsibility. Um, maybe you just don't fit that company right um which i think is really weird um to a certain extent right because this isn't pro sports right where pro sports they're tell you exactly what the model of a olympic level 400 meter athlete looks like the height the weight the muscle fiber distribution genetics all these other things right but in in business world there is no model Right. Um, you can be the most badass programmer in the whole entire world, you know, and be completely unhealthy. And, you know, like there's 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 not a model for these type of things. So we can't I, at least I don't think we can put um, especially in tech this like we can we can't model a high performer and what they look like. It just doesn't make sense to me, because uh, if anything, if we're talking about inclusiveness and sort of, you know, all these other things about building well-rounded teams and not hiring based off culture fit, but culture ed, you know, we have to create systems where, you know, individuals are able to sort of understand what their bandwidth is, work within that bandwidth, be healthy while they're doing it and still excel at their, at their career. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think what I want to ask you, this might seem like an odd question. What am I not asking you? What What am I not diving into that I think employers and employees would really benefit from knowing? Yeah, I mean, let's talk about something that you can do right away to help your employees and understand better how to manage your team. Um, so what I want the listeners to do is develop a, a, a little survey, and we call this our performance questionnaire, right? So that performance questionnaire, it's going to consist of five questions um, on a one to five scale. All right. Now, within, that, within those questions, we're going to ask, um, how is your mood? How's your stress? How's your sleep? How's your soreness? Um, and there's one other one. I forget it, but we can share it in the, in the show notes. Mm-hmm. All right. And then what I want you to do is I want you to take that questionnaire. I want you to give that to your to your team before and after a specific sprint, right? So if that is like a, a new product or you know a, a sales sprint or whatever have you. All right, and then once we have that data, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to benchmark that on a trend timeline, uh, on a trend line on an Excel document. All right, and then we're going to make sure we notate the type of sprint it was and the type of year. All right, so what ends up happening, and this is so so powerful is that what we can do is we can quantify the people costs all right, of a sprint or quantify the people cost of a, a series raise, right? Mm-hmm. What ends up happening is that we can take that number and we can compare it against previous benchmarks. So if we know that in October, we pr- you know put out this product in 30 days and the people cost was X, all right, we're going to do that again in January. And we know the people cost was Y, all right? But if if the one in October was much more elevated than one in, in you know, January or whatever I said, where was the difference there, right? And then over time, what we can do is we can sort of benchmark these over longer periods of time. And then we can say, all right, in October, when we did this, this was the cost. In January, we did this, this was the cost. In February, we did this, this was the cost, all right? And then what you can do is you can do, you can use strategies leading up to that to make sure that the cost isn't as great or you can use strategies afterwards, all right, to help your your team recover faster, all right. Um, and it's so powerful, right, because we can help our teams recover faster and then keep on driving performance and keep on moving in that linear scale. Um, so think about that when we're managing, you know, sprints or we're managing our teams or whatnot. Think about what the cost of of you know your specific application or your specific sprint or whatever it is, all right, and then make changes during that time to make sure that your team can come out of it better. So, there's mitigation tools during mm-hmm. um, that could be used, um, you know, based on October versus January, and there's strategies that can be deployed post January. Um, now that we've learned, mm-hmm. what are some of these tools? Okay. So let's think about it like this, right? Um, when we look at stress, all right, there is two different um, areas, two different responses from a physiological standpoint in stress. There is, and they're both managed and governed by the autonomic nervous system. So there is a fight or flight response, which is sympathetic. And there is a sort of rest and digest response, which is parasympathetic. Essentially, one is stress and the other one is recovery, all right? And going back to that level of homeostasis, your body is always trying to maintain that middle ground, right, between Mm -hmm. the two. 
So what we need to understand is where your team is at during that time. All right. So if we see that using that performance questionnaire that we talked about, that there was a high state of stress after that product sprint, right? So we know that sleep was disrupted, stress was high, mood is low. Okay, so now we understand that those people are probably in a sympathetic or fight or flight response. And then what we need to do is we need to shift them in a parasympathetic state to help them recovery and recover. Remember that um, that super compensation curve? Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned earlier, that's that process, right? There was homeostasis, disruption, sympathetic response, start to recovery, parasympathetic response, back to a median. So once we see that the team is in a parasympathetic response, now we need to implement some sort of a recovery strategies to get them back, right? And to cause a, reco- a recovery response. So what could that be? Most of the time, it's going to be uh, removing intensity, all right? Because intensity, we don't want to add intensity to an already over-intensified individual, right? Mm-hmm. So that could be um, reducing hours because the hours can be intense. That could be uh, reducing the amount of sales calls, meetings, anything like that that's going to it's going to be perceived by the individual as an intense stimulus. Um, but that could also like, you know, it could be, um, you know, it could be talk therapy, right? It could be implementing some sort of talk space or whatever. It could be and hosting a online yoga sort of thing for your team, which all that is driving that recovery response, right? So there's multiple different things you can do there. Um, so once we, we give that, that uh, modality, then we'll see that person start to hopefully come back up. All right. And then once they're sort of give it a week or whatever it is, now we know that they're back in that sort of homeostatic or parasympathetic state. So then we can introduce stress again. And the powerful part about this is now that we know what the response was, the next time we do it, we can push them a little bit farther, right? Because they've already adapted. They've already perceived the stress, adapted to the stress. All right. And now we can we and now they know how to adapt to it. So the next time, you know, if we have a certain goal or whatever that is, we can go from 80 to 100 or 100 to 120 or 120 to 200. Right. Because we know that they can adapt to it. We know that they can positively adapt to it. And then we know how the type of strategies we can use to make sure that they can come out of this. OK. And then be better the next time. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. So this is a great strategy for employers. Um, and I, I have to believe that coming off of um, a big project or the big sprint, um, basically allowing everybody to take their foot a little bit off the gas pedal is hard, you know, because you see the success, they see the success, their bosses, bosses, bosses are happy and they want to keep pushing forward. So you need to have leaders that are going to say, nope, this is the point in time where we take our foot off the gas pedal a little bit. We give people what they need to recuperate, to regain homeostasis. And then when we put the gas pedal down again, we might even be able to push it down a little harder because they've adapted. So we have to stay the course of this and you'll see productivity will go up. Um, The ability to stay in the sprint longer will go up. Am I understanding that correctly? Totally, 100%. And then understanding that 
everybody recovers a little differently, right? All right, so we don't we, we don't want to we don't want to rush out of it, all right? Because what ends up happening most of the time is a company does like a happy hour, right? And that's the recovery. They're like, great job, happy <laughs> to happy hour. We buy you lunch, and we'll get back to it the next day. Um, so just be a little bit more patient. Maybe use those those like surveys or whatever that I, that I talked about before um, to understand where your team's at. Right. Because even if you give it a week of just backing off a little bit, doing less intensive activities, less meetings, you know, you run that same survey at the end of the week. All right. You might see that trend change. Right. So you'll be able to see our 65 percent of our employees or 85 percent of our employees are trending up. Scores are getting better. Now we can start introducing more stress again. Yes. Um, I want to go back to something you said there about the happy hour. OK, so I'm just going to put this out there. Um, I hate to tell this to all these corporations that maybe enjoy having this happy hour. Your employees don't like them. <laughs> it is, it becomes a mandatory thing. It's usually like on a Friday night after they've been pushing all week long and just want quiet time, time with their family. They don't want to sit down with a beer in front of the Zoom again <laughs> for another hour and, and laugh at everybody's jokes. They, they want time off. It, would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, you think about it like everybody's different, right? Everybody has different sort of personality types. Um, and then we're, we're talking with this in the world today about hiring for culture ed and sort of not culture fits, right? Um, listen, if I started a company and I hired a bunch of bros like myself who just want to go to a happy hour on a Friday night, like everybody might love it, right? But you can't do that. All right, where other people are introverted, right? Other people have different needs and wants from a company. You know, I was never the type of individual that felt like I needed to have a tribe of people that I worked with um, to make me feel fulfilled in my job. That's just not what I wanted. You know, if anything, I wanted less interaction, you know, with the people I work with and my managers and whatnot, because that's that's how I saw things, right? Um, mm -hmm. So sometimes that happy hour can add stress rather than remove stress. Um, so we need to understand that is that every type of stimulus that we give to our employees either has a positive or negative effect and everybody adapts to it differently. And you need to remove your subjective opinion out of it and truly understand the makeup of your team and what is going to have a positive or negative effect. Well, I, you know, I personally think it should be driven by the employees and not the employers. So if your company mandates happy hours, that's difficult. If your company says, um, we are open to employee driven happy hours and we have, you know, some funds in HR for, um, anybody who wants to create something fun, uh, whatever that may be. Um, and a group of employees decide they want to do a little happy hour on Thursday night and they invite anybody who wants to come, then it's not mandatory. Then it allows those extroverted people to maybe create it because they want to have it and whoever comes, comes, but there aren't, their, their leaders, their managers are not necessarily coming to that and making it feel as though it's mandatory. I, I feel like there's a lot of things that are going to be driven now by employees. And I, I love what you're doing because you're putting the onus on the employer to to keep the homeostasis in check. Um, but by the same token, you're providing tools 
and understanding for the employee to take a look at how they conduct business, right? How they can learn what their body needs um, so that they perform better. And, and I think that'll have a trickle effect into their personal life, not just business. Yeah, it's all about high performance, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean high performance as, you know, higher revenue. You know, I mean, we all strive for a high performance, right? Every time you wake up, you know, you either feel like you can perform or you, you feel like you can't perform, or maybe you feel like you could perform at like 50% of your level, right? But how great is that when you wake up knowing that you can sort of conquer today, right? Everybody has a certain, that, that, that sort of sets everybody's sort of mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately what we want from everybody. And this is why there's such a big push on mental health and wellness and all these other things is because we all want to try to be put into that sort of flow state. We're all trying to achieve that. So the best way to help employers to help their employees do that is by understanding stress, understanding the response to stress, and then giving your employees uh, the tools and the education as well as uh, the um giving them the sort of the stimulus to be able to recover and be better. Um, it's a, you know, it's a tricky thing, right? Because, you know, we're all, we're all sort of stuck in this sort of legacy sort of Ford owners mindset of, you know, this is the job, this is the end result or the goal, do whatever you can to sort of get there. And what we're realizing now is, although that's still the goal, there's probably better ways to be able to do that. I agree. I think we all would like to have more of those days where I call them power days, you know, where you wake up and you just feel like, wow, I could take on the world. But I don't always feel that every day I wake up. So, <laughs> oh, and it, it's frustrating, right? Like I get so frustrated. So frustrating. I woke up that today. <laughs> it was like, I, like I slept like shit. It was like, it was not a great overall night. And it was like one of these days where you know you just have to sort of grind through it. You know, but those grind through days, although they do help build resiliency and they do sort of move you along a little bit, they're not inherently healthy. You know, um, you got to remember is that like, you know, I slept maybe four hours last night. So I'm stealing resources for somewhere else, which is disrupting sort of my biological sort of makeup right now, which is going to affect me tomorrow, the next day and the next day. And this is why burnout is so prevalent right now, because people go years of doing that. You know, they have dinners four nights a week where they drink a little bit too much. They come home, they argue with their wife or husband or whatever, or or just partner in general, because maybe they've had dinners four nights this week. You know, maybe the bills are not getting paid and uh, like all these things sort of compile. And then we go in the work and we're expected to be at 100%. Um, It's a a really, really tough thing. And I, I said this on LinkedIn today is that your employees don't need more mental health apps. They don't need to read a book, you know, by Angela Duckworth on grit. They don't need to be trained on it, on how to be more resilient. All right. Um, the problem is, is us as companies, we need to be more educated on how exactly to manage our employees better. So they don't have to become more resilient. So they don't have to be fucking supermans of mental health. Right. Like that's unfair to ask of our employees. Like why mm-hmm. do we, why they, why do they need to manage their depression better so they can be better employees? Like that's, that's a little wrong, mm-hmm. right? Like we should mm-hmm. be able to create an environment 
where our their jobs don't add to their depression. And that's on us. You know, we have to we have to do something about that. Especially if their jobs brought them to the depression too. <laughs> exactly. And why is no one being held accountable for, for that? Like if, if I owned a company or if I was just one individual walking around the street and I made 20,000 people depressed over a period of five years, I'd probably be put in jail, right? Like, <laughs> or I made some, like, if you cause alcoholism or you cause a drug habit or you cause a divorce and like, these are all real effects of companies and what they do to people. It's true. Now, like that's a real thing and it's something we have to address. Like it's not fair to ask our employees to sacrifice all that. And a lot of like part of it is the cost of doing business. I get that. But we have to work towards decreasing that cost a little bit, not just telling our employees, here's an app, go get better because we're not going to change. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, or like you said previously, you know, the mandated yoga class that doesn't work for everybody, right? Um, we have so much more that we could unpack here. Um, I, you know, I, I just want to, um, there was one other thing that I just want to touch on before we we close this interview because you, I had heard it actually in a different interview that you had had, and I think people would take value from this. Um, when you were talking about homeostasis and when you go into recovery, and how recovery looks different from every for everybody. There are people out there who think that recovery is um, going to the gym and bench pressing their PR and doing that every day for the next four days, or doing that really hard workout like going on a run and and going for you know five miles, ten miles, which I could never do, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had said that learning about yourself is also learning, I'm paraphrasing here, that some days that push is exactly what your body needs. But because you instinctively go to bench press as much as you can or run as fast or as long as you can, you might actually be doing more harm. That actually part of that recovery is understanding as an individual that some days it's just a long walk some days it's simply stressing, I'm sorry, stretching or doing yoga, or some days it's bench pressing a Chevy. So <laughs> do I understand that right? I know I think I'm paraphrasing this from something else you said, but just from the employee standpoint, I just want you to touch on that before we, we close on this. Totally. So, um, and I'll give you a sort of real, real, t- real life example. So um, one of the things we did in sport is and much like everything else everything is sort of like thrown into a bucket as like this is recovery right so just do one of these activities and you'll be fine so what we did is we wanted to understand how certain recovery modalities affect certain athletes right um so what i mean by that is how does a sauna uh affect an athlete in recovery and what how does that change the parasympathetic or sympathetic response how does a uh, cold tub or an ice bath affect recovery? How does light massage or heavy massage? How does melatonin? How does uh, provigil? Like there's all these sort of different things that we looked at because we wanted to understand what causes a positive adaptation and what causes a negative adaptation in individual athletes, right? Because again, we all adapt differently. Mm-hmm. So 
employees are the same exact way or humans are, we're all sort of one biological thing right and that's governed by previous responses or genetics or epigenetics that determine how your body is going to adapt to something so in real it like for to answer your question you know think about work right if you're sort of you know you wake up like i woke up today right like this is probably not the day for me to do something really intensive right i feel a little overwhelmed I didn't sleep well. I'm slightly agitated, right? So probably not the best day for me to be able to do an intense activity, um, like you know, sending 150 emails or cold calling. Uh, you know, also it might not be the best day for me to go do a CrossFit class, right? Because it's going to add more intensity and more stress to my system. So what am I going to do today instead, right? I'm going to do a podcast. I am going to write a couple blog articles, I am going to jump on a few webinars, things that are non-intensive, but allows me to sort of work and move the needle forward. Also my workout, my workout today might just be a, a longer run, right? At lower intensity. Um, it might be a light massage. It might be my diet might change. I might not drink alcohol today because that's going to add stress. I might decrease my, my caffeine intake because that might increase stress right, or increase intensity to my system, all right? So understanding as far as where, where your body's at within that time frame, and then adjusting activities or recovery or exercises or conversations or whatever you do that day to make sure that you wake up um, in a better place than you woke up today. That's fantastic. I, I love that we're leaving on that note because I think a lot of people need to think about um, how they recover. Um, I like, I think a lot of people just go to their tried and true method. If they always jog three miles and that's what they're going to do the next day, but understanding that maybe their, um, their tank's not full when they woke up cause they only slept four hours is on, it's, it's really important for them to stop and, and, you know, look at that. Do I really need to run three miles today? Or maybe I just need to walk three miles today. So I love that. Brian Smith, you are amazing. I love everything that you shared with us. And um, I really love loved exploring company culture with you. Um, I have a feeling we're going to have to have you back because there are so many great things we really dived into. And um, so I'd like to do that more in the future with you. So thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much, fun. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Get some sleep tomorrow. I will. Thank you. <laughs> All right, bye.